Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats with Peggy Hoyt. Our goal is to keep loved pets in loving homes by educating pet parents about the importance of ensuring every pet has a forever home. For more information about creating a legacy for your pet or to listen to archive shows, visit AnimalCareTrustUSA.org or LegacyForYourPet.com. Join your host, author, estate planning attorney, and animal advocate, Peggy Hoyt. Hello, pet lovers. Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats. I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt. This show is brought to you by the law offices of Hoyt and Brian, where we create estate plans for pets and their people. Also brought to you by Animal Care Trust USA, a national nonprofit dedicated to keeping loved pets in loving homes. We do this by educating pet parents about the importance of protecting their pets with a pet trust. Today, I am honored to have two guests on the show. First, I'd like to introduce to you Scott Fine, the founder of Joey's Legacy and a return guest to the show. Welcome back to the show, um, Scott. Hey, Peggy. Thanks for having me back. You are so welcome. And uh, Scott is joined today by Jerry Robb. And Jerry is the author of eight books and he's working on his ninth. And welcome to the show, Jerry. So glad to be here and nice to meet you. It's very nice to meet you. And um, we're going to talk to Scott more in a minute, but why don't you tell us a little bit about the two books that you're working on, one that's recently been released and then the, the sequel to that? Yes, the, the first one was Joey's Legacy, Volume 1. And the reason there's a Volume 1 is only because I did not know there would be so many stories like this. So when we were writing volume one, uh, when I got to 600 pages or almost 600 pages, uh, Scott and I discussed doing two volumes. So volume one came out in February, volume two is coming out. Well, I, I was hoping July, August, but probably August, September, everything keeps getting in the way. Plus I get stories that are still coming in. We might have to have a volume three is what I'm thinking. But uh, the book basically is each story I get from a person that is a chapter. So the book has 46 chapters, volume one, and 41 of them are actual stories from people that have been through this uh, debacle. Well, volume and um, and when we're talking about stories, what we're really talking about is people who have been victims of veterinary malpractice. And, and that's really where Scott comes in and he is the founder of Joey's Legacy, which is a national nonprofit that works with um, families and that have been victimized by veterinary malpractice. Tell us a little bit about that, Scott. So Joey's Legacy was uh, formed in October of 2017 after we lost our dachshund, uh, Joey, in June of that year as a result of veterinary malpractice. Uh, we wanted to create a, a space for people uh, to come and tell us what happened, uh, a place to comfort them, a place of solace. And uh, we weren't sure how many other victims of uh, a negligent veterinarian there were out there, but we quickly learned actually by the end of 2017, I think we had a couple of hundred members already. And we've uh, grown to uh, almost 2,500 members right now. Um, 
there's a part of me want, that wants to say that's great. And then there's a part of me that wants to say that's horrible um, because that means that we continue to have um, people report incidences of veterinary malpractice and the loss of a loved pet. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the, the more we, uh, the more we do this, Peggy, the more we realize that, uh, you know, there are, there are two primary major, I would say, issues that are in Jerry's book that we want to deal with. Uh, the first is, uh, those veterinarians that uh, refuse to be honest with their pet parents when something uh, goes wrong in surgery or in uh, during a procedure. And, and let me let me stop myself. Let me digress for a second. Let me uh, let everybody know that about 85% of the people that want to join our group have told us that they have never had a bad experience with a veterinarian. So we're talking about 15%, which is still a large number. And of that 15%, uh, the, the problems they've had range from uh, fee disputes, uh, controversial veterinary drugs that cause problems, uh, topical products that cause problems, and of course, allegations of veterinary negligence and malpractice. Uh, and out of that group, we find about six out of 10 come to us with legitimate claims of uh, where our vet team does actually find negligence and malpractice. The other four are uh, more of the nothing to see here. Uh, you thought there was, but there really wasn't. Your vet did the right thing based on the circumstances. So we attempt to assist those that uh, have bona fide claims. And what we do is we ask them to, uh, we refer them to one of our vets. We have nine vets on our team. Uh, some have specialties in surgery, uh, ER, uh, emergency room time, uh, hospice, end of life care. And so depending on the situation, we'll refer the person to one of our vets. Uh, the vet will review the records uh, and determine whether or not negligence or malpractice actually occurred. If they feel it did, they'll offer to write an opinion letter, which is then uh, brought to one of our attorneys in the state where the uh, alleged uh, malpractice occurred for review and possible legal action. And tell us, um, are you finding that you're being successful in the pursuit of justice? And in most cases, these cases are settled out of court. Uh, we find it's the only opportunity during a settlement for um, non-economic damages like emotional distress, because if it does go to court and it's a judge only uh, you're going to get the judge following the law. And the, currently the law in 49 out of 50 states, Oregon being the exception, uh, dictates that pets are property. And the only thing you're entitled to, if you can demonstrate negligence, is a return of a recovery of your veterinary costs, plus an amount known as replacement value, which I have a hard time with, but the, that's the, uh, the, the, the term that's coined. And that basically is just an amount that uh, would be required to replace the same breed and characteristics of your uh, of your family member that uh, that passed away. Uh, so yes, in most cases, uh, when our vet team finds uh, malpractice, they'll write a letter, and the uh, the attorney is able to um, you know is able to uh, send a demand letter 
ask for damages and uh, through negotiation, uh, they settle on a number. And uh, normally that's how most of these cases end. Well, and that's one reason why you don't see a lot of these cases reported in um, legal journals or those kinds of things because they never make it to the courtroom. There's the out-of-court settlement. And of course, then there's um, confidentiality agreements that come into play. So the yes. only way we can really tell the story is through a book, um, like the one that Jerry's doing, volume exactly. one and now volume two, where people who have been harmed can actually tell their stories. And, and would you say, um, Scott and Jerry, that the people that appear in the book are ones that probably haven't gotten some sort of a settlement? Um, it, it, so there's a variety there, Peggy. I mean, some have, um, uh, you know, some have uh, gotten settlements, some uh, don't plan to pursue the matter. Um, and, and I think maybe one was going to court. I'm not sure what the status of that is. Um, but, you know, the, the, to your point earlier about um, why, what we do and why we do it, uh, the first problem, as I mentioned, is veterinarians that are un untruthful when something goes wrong. But I think just as big, if not bigger, is the, the inherent problem with boards of veterinary medicine. Uh, and as they say, and pardon the expression, if you're offended, the fish rots from the head down. That's where all of the problems begin. They, this is a self-governing organization who refuses to discipline their members firmly and fairly. And if they had been doing that all along, all these years, some of these veterinarians that think they can get away with, in some cases, murder, uh, would think twice, they'd be more careful. You know, they'd have more checks and balances to make sure some of this stuff doesn't happen. You know, our, 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 two, um, our two major causes of concern and things that bring people to us is dental cleanings that go bad due to, uh, over administration of anesthesia and uh, spays and neuters where uh, the uh, practitioner will go in and uh, sometimes sever blood vessels causing hemorrhage and, uh, and demise. So these are all preventable, obviously, uh, and they need more attention, but some veterinarians, and most veterinarians under, you know, are not part of the group I'm talking about. It's this, minority that thinks they can just get away with whatever they want to because their vet board colleagues will protect them. And in most cases, they're right. Well, it's kind of the case of one bad apple, right? Exactly. Exactly. And primarily from, you know, stories we hear from all over the country, it seems like it's a, just a common theme throughout all the vet boards. I mean, I have experience with Florida Board of Veterinary Medicine myself, but I mean, I hear similar stories uh, from all over the country. So it's sad that they continue to come forward, but Jerry, can you tell us one or two stories that stick out in your mind from uh, volume one of Joey's Legacy, Seeking Truth and Integrity in Veterinary Medicine? Well, there's, <clears throat> there's really several stories that uh, deal with veterinary medicine uh, and flea collars, especially the Soresto uh, flea collar, which is made by Bayer. 
liquids of aspirin, and probably if it wasn't such a large company, uh, that would no longer be in veterinary clinics, but um, I don't know of any clinics you can walk in and not find Soresto flea collars and certain foods that have also been found to be very negative uh, for, for animals. But one story that I had was um, a lady, young lady went in and took her dog in for abdominal surgery or some kind of surgery like that. And when the end of the day rolled around and they kept putting her off, she finally went to the animal hospital and waited 45 minutes or so. And they told her that her dog had died during the surgery because it was eaten up with cancer and they just sewed it back up and it died. Well, if that had been me, I would have bought that story. I've been going to the problem. So I would have thought it was, would have never even, I would have never even thought about going and having a necropsy done or autopsy. This case, that was did. She went to um, um, a veterinarian school and had them do an autopsy that very day. And it turned out when they opened the dog up, they said he doesn't have any kind of cancer, uh, but the intestine is severed. So it, this one did go to court, and um, during that time, they found out that they they admitted that they had dropped a scalpel into the body cavity, severed the intestine, the dog bled to death, and I believe I don't know what the settlement was, but I believe that was in the thousands. Um, one of the things that Scott mentioned a while ago, and that I have to tell you, when I first when he first approached me about writing about this. I had no idea this was even going on. Um, I just had never thought about it. And I wasn't real interested in doing it. But what I have found is that, as Scott mentioned, as bad as the bad apple veterinarian is, the worst apple is veterinarian board, which has never seen a veterinarian they didn't love. Kind of like police unions never see a policeman they don't think it's a great policeman. I guess that's what they're supposed to do is back the team. But by doing that, uh, they just let the bad ones and as Scott mentioned, this, they're few and far between. And my, at least from my research, it's about 2% or less veterinarians are like this. But as long as the vet boards, to me, the vet board is the swamp. And until this is ever resolved, the vet boards are going to have to be changed. They're owned and operated by veterinarians, at least many of them are. And until they get that under control, it's going to be a hard battle. Uh, you mentioned earlier about, well, now we're going to get it exposed and, and what's going to do, but, and it is exposing it, but it's doing it slowly. Um, we're working now on a documentary uh, with a film producer who's won nine Emmys and he's world famous and he is very interested in doing this story. He's just finished up a documentary on medical malpractice and the difference, well, there really aren't many differences in medical and human other than the amount of the award that the court gives you. As Scott mentioned, it has been in the past, well, I'm sorry I killed your dog or your cat or your horse. You know, here's a hundred bucks and, you know, go have a drink on me. That's now beginning to change because of people like Scott. In California, I think it was last year, there was the biggest settlement so far, and it was $134,000 for a German shepherd that went in for an MRI, and they paralyzed him, moving him around while he was sedated. 
It's a good bit from what I've read. But he sued the clinic and another vet that he took them to. And this has got to happen. The reason that veterinary malpractice insurance is so cheap, so cheap, in fact, it's hard to find attorneys that are willing to do this on a contingency basis, other than the ones that have pets and love animals, because they're not in it for the money. Uh, there isn't much of a contingency to get if they award you $100. The only way we're going to get to them is clean up the vet board and give awards that hurt. And once their malpractice gets up to 100,000, 200,000 a year, you'll see a lot of changes. I think we will see a lot of changes if that were to happen. And uh, sounds like we need to have a lot more um, pet parents on boards and not just veterinarians. I agree, that would be a good idea. But right now that's just not the way it is. Um, but I think you're right. I mean, in any industry, you're going to have your bad apples. If you have self-regulating industries, they tend to stack the boards with uh, members of that industry and um, tend to protect their own, as you've suggested. Um, when do you think that the documentary might be available, Jerry? I really don't know. I'm flying to Fort Myers, Florida this weekend, next weekend. Well, the, this coming weekend, the 25th. And I'm going to meet the director and producer. His name is John Biffar. His last name is B-I-F-F-A-R. I'll spell that so people can go to YouTube and look this guy up. He's phenomenal. He's done, he's done many, like I said, he had nine Emmys. He did a series of one, six one-hour episodes about children of the fourth world in 1999, which was about the children in Guatemala City that grow up in the dump. Uh, get married in the dump, have their children in the dump. It's just an amazing, um, amazing piece of work. And it's a, almost a miracle the way that I even met this guy, but it was through the guy that introduced me to John before is the same guy that introduced me to Scott. He introduced me to John a year ago to see if he'd be interested in doing a movie on my book series, which is about the book of Revelation and the Bible and the prophets. And he introduced me to a filmmaker with Netflix. He just does documentaries, John does. So when this book came out in February, Joey's, I'm thinking this would be a great, people don't know about this. So I called John and he's always very easy to get in touch with. And he called me right back and we talked and he told me he was finishing up the malpractice and he'd be very interested. Now, when is it coming out? First thing we have to do is raise $100,000 to get it done. We are up to about 25,000 in actual, maybe a little bit more. I saw a $500 donation came in yesterday. Um, we're probably up to between 25 and 30,000, but John wants to go ahead and interview me when I'm there. Uh, some of these people on the Joy's Facebook page are just absolutely amazing. Um, many of them are willing to pay their own way to Fort Myers to save us money instead of having the film crew have to go to them. And I've already got about 11 people that have volunteered to do that. John wants to interview maybe 20 people and then he'll edit the interviews. He's going after the vet boards uh, and he is planning on from the last conversation I had to actually confront these veterinarians that are still practicing but have been found guilty and then thrown out of court at a later date, which everybody seems real excited about. But I believe we will get the $100,000. Um, 
which I thought at first was expensive until I went out and did some research and to make an hour long um, documentary that would be shown on cable like History Channel or Animal Planet or Discovery Wild. Uh, um, it's usually in the $500,000 range. But as I've learned about this John before, he has got a huge heart, has helped out many, many people in his past. And um, he gave us a great deal. We just have to raise the money and we're doing that through donations. And hopefully some of your listeners will, um, will be interested in helping this cause. I hope they will. And uh, where can people go to donate? Uh, the easiest, easiest place is joeyslegacy.org slash donate. You just go there, hit the donate button, and then um, do whatever you can. We'd appreciate it. Most of our donations are between $25 and $250 each, but we have a commitment from uh, one lady for $10,000. We've had a couple of people that have done $2,000 to $3,000, and um, it's, it's pretty amazing that so many people are behind it. With that said, we got 2,400 members and we have donations, I think Scott told me from 48. So that's not many. So we have, we have a lot more people that could help us with this if they, if they were willing. One of, one of my favorite things to say when I'm doing fundraising is I try to encourage people to skip a cup, save a pup. Um, that's great. So give up your Starbucks for a month or a year and uh, let's save some puppies. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with $25 donations. If we had $25 for 2,400 members, we would be almost through with this. I was going to say we'd be done and then, yeah. then we'd, we'd be, be on our way. Start up the cameras. Well, I, uh, I applaud both of you for taking on this project and, uh, and bringing it to life. And also to John Bafar, who I hope I have the opportunity of meeting in the future and uh, congratulating on, on doing such a fine thing to help all of the animal lovers of the world, but especially those who have been the victims of veterinary malpractice. Um, would you like to wind us up, Scott, in any way, last words, thoughts? Sure, Peggy. Uh, sadly, uh, vet boards refuse to carry out their mandate of disciplining their colleagues firmly and fairly. Had they been uh, abiding by that all these years, there'd probably be no book for Jerry to write. Um, and so, you know, the only, uh, you, you know, companion animal parents need to take matters into their own hands until the law steps in and does that for them. And, um, you know, they have to confront the, the veterinarian. They have to, you know, the, the veterinarian has to feel the pinch. You know, my, I and five of my friends sit out on the sidewalk with signs outside the vet's office. My dog died here. Uh, he went on, I put him on one of the local TV stations, the NBC affiliate in Lee County, did a story on him. The Fort Myers News Press did a story on him. He left town for two weeks on an unplanned, unplanned vacation to let things cool down. He felt the pinch. If these bad actors don't feel the pinch and they're not going to feel it from vet boards, they're going to continue to do what they do. 
and it's up to us to make them think twice. Absolutely. And we need to ask our legislators to change the laws so that pets are not considered just to be property, but a whole new category of property, um, perhaps one that's being coined as sentient property. Exactly. Pro property that has feelings. Yes. And um, certainly those of us that are pet parents know that the loss of a pet under any set of circumstances is devastating but far more devastating when it's at the hand of another and it could have been prevented. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. Well, I can't thank both of you enough for everything that you're doing. Uh, Scott for creating Joey's legacy, Jerry for um, really being the heart and soul behind the books um, Joey's Legacy, Seeking Truth and Integrity in Veterinary Medicine, Volumes 1, 2. Hopefully we don't have to go on further, but um, I'm sure we will if we have to. And then really, Jerry, for spearheading this documentary project. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. All right, folks, until there are none, please adopt one. And until next time. Make sure you protect your pet with a pet trust and happy tails. Thank you for joining us on All My Children Wear Fur Coats with your host, Peggy Hoyt. We hope you learned something valuable for the benefit of your pet. We want to keep loved pets in loving homes by educating pet parents about the importance of ensuring every pet has a forever home. Get more information about creating a legacy for your pet at AnimalCareTrustUSA.org or LegacyForYourPet.com. Buy a copy of All My Children Wear Fur Coats, How to Leave a Legacy for Your Pet on Amazon. Join our email list or make a donation. Pet professionals and advisors are invited to join our trusted advisor network. Until next time, happy tales!